Meet Shell are, as they call themselves, a jazz folk duo. Their music is beautiful, confronting, and everything in between. And they are our special guests on this episode of the Australian Jazz and Groove Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Australian Jazz and Group Podcast. My name is David Galea, and it's great to have you along and share with you some great music and insights into the way Australian jazz composers work and create. Now, if you would like to get in touch with the Australian Jazz and Group Podcast, if you have any music you would like played or suggestions on how we can make the podcast better, please email us to Podcast at gmail.com or get in touch on Instagram or Facebook. That's another great way to do it. So, what do we have to look forward to in this episode? Well, as we mentioned in our intro, we'll be talking to Helen Svoboda and Andrew Saragossi from Meatshell. They have a new album out, and we'll hear how they've been able to create their sound with Helen on double bass and vocals and Andrew on tenor saxophone, quite a unique instrumentation. They'll explain to us how they've been able to embrace the space that they create when they perform and how they've been able to use extended techniques on their instruments that they've learnt whilst studying overseas. We'll also hear a track from Australian jazz stalwart Nick Haywood from an album he released back in 2012 called 1234, and it features one of my favourite drummers, Alan Brown. But let's get underway. Let's hear a track from John Reeves, a piano player and accordion player from Brisbane, John is a mainstay on the Brisbane jazz scene, and on this album he plays accordion and is joined by Helen Svoboda on bass, as well as Aaron Jans on drums. So let's have a listen to the title track from the album, which is called Creatures of the Half Sleep. Thank you. 
So that was Creatures of the Half-Sleep from Brisbane pianist and accordion player John Reeves from his latest recording. So now we've come to the part of the episode where we welcome our very special guests. And to do that, let's have a listen to a track from Meat Shell and their latest album entitled Since Sabito. Just some background on this track, which I found really helped me process the music to full effect. This track is the single, and it's called Faces, which, as the guys from Meat Shell say in their write-up, is hidden in plain sight lies the keyword faces, which we just said, which has various and contrasting meanings within the English language. The quote went on to say that Saragossi's angular yet grounding ostinato underscores this frantic verbal exploration, spanning cliff faces, clock faces, Facebook, and last but not least, human faces. So armed with this description, let's have a listen, buckle up and listen to Faces from Meat Shell. Oh, 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 oh. 
welcome to the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast, Mitchell. Hi, thanks for having us, Dave. Thanks Excellent. for having us, really appreciate it. No worries, nice to have you. So it's Andrew Saragossi and Helen Svoboda from Meat Shell and so good to have you on the podcast. Appreciate you taking the time. You're both very busy people as we all are so thank you so much <laughs> for that and you've got a new album coming out called Since Subito. That is correct. Yeah, it's coming out on March 26th through Earshift Music. Awesome. So... I had a good listen to it. Thanks so much for sending me through the the masters of it. And it's a really um, interesting album, beautiful album. And I wanted to ask you straight up, when people listen to it, what are you hoping will be the reaction from those that listen to it? Uh, I guess the whole intention with this band was a kind of experiment uh, for us in terms of how we're playing our instruments, uh, the role and challenging the traditional roles of those instruments. So, uh, on one level, we're hoping people get a completely different listening experience and can hear sounds that they have never heard before. Um, that's something we really strive for. And what we do is create kind of unique sound worlds, um, in an acoustic setting uh, at this stage in our development as a band anyway. Um, it's been strictly acoustic. Um, and then on another level, um, this is kind of our first big foray into into songwriting um, and producing stories and lyrical content for our work. So um, we're hoping that that kind of strikes different kinds of chords with people as well that uh, maybe they wouldn't have gotten from our music uh, from our debut release. So just to go through the instrumentation, Helen, you're playing double bass and vocal, or not playing vocals, but singing. <laughs> is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Yeah, cool. And Andrew, you're on tenor saxophone? Yeah, so I'm yeah, only tenor saxophone for this one. Um, yeah, there's going to be maybe a thing in the future trying a few different um, instruments for it, but it's been fun to kind of limit it to just the one horn and see, I guess, how much... Uh, I can get out of it. Me, on the other hand, I got bored pretty fast, so I had to add an extra instrument. <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I wanted to ask um, how you go playing double bass and singing at the same time. Is that something that you've developed over time or is it something that comes natural to you? How has that sort of come as part of your musicality? Mm. Um, it definitely developed in the past three years. So Andrew and I recently returned to Australia from two years spent in the Netherlands where we were studying a master's of music um, individually, but the same course. And my whole master's was actually focused on combining the overtone series of the double bass with voice because it ends up in very much the same range range being a female vocalist. Um, I love what the overtone harmonic series can offer on the double bass because it's just, it goes into the range of a violin at times as well. So that's when I really started digging into it and started to explore the different sonic combinations that you could get out of that. And over time, just as I've built confidence and had more vocal lessons and I'm still continuing those now, um, I've started to explore my sonic palette as a vocalist much further and building with lyrics and really, you know, pushing uh, the boundaries of my own expression into new territory, especially uh, propelled by this duo where it's a really it's a place for me to experiment with that and feel kind of like I'm in a safe place to do so yeah that's a that's an interesting thing that you said that safe place because listening to the album there's so much space 
And but often the musicians are scared of that space, but you guys mm. seem to embrace it. Could you like just to talk about, you know, again, has that come naturally, or it's just something you've developed as a duo? It's certainly not something that is uh, natural, and <laughs> that was one of the big uh, kind of stumbling things when we first started. Is um, it's actually kind of uh, why we called the band Meat Shell in the end. Um, aside from the fact that I think it's just a cool sounding punk rock name, not that our music is punk rock at all. <laughs> Um, but the whole idea of like your meat shell being your skin and that feeling of being exposed and naked was a big part of, um, why the band kind of started and it really reflects the music that we were making and how vulnerable we had to kind of let ourselves be, but also kind of push ourselves further in, um, just the mastery of our instruments just to feel confident enough to, um, to be so vulnerable and like to still search for beauty or to you know want to be ugly or um (laughs) all those kind of things so certainly um that's been something that has been developing and and is continuing to develop um but it's it's become a space where we both feel very comfortable now and it's it's some of the most enjoyable playing that we get to do uh, in my opinion anyway and painful at times it can be painful but (laughs) Um, scary at times as well but it it is very fun and very um, freeing it gives you a lot of space especially as a saxophone player where my role in the band is um, kind of more a lot more vital than it maybe is in in other contexts where I'm occupying kind of a supporting role or um, a textural role where um, I, I can kind of shape what's happening in the music much more than I would be in like a normal jazz context um, so that that's kind of opened up a whole a lot of different possibilities for me as a player personally and um, uh, has been just yeah, awesome to, to keep experimenting in those worlds.
like that vulnerability has that become your comfort zone in a little bit like particularly when you play this music live is that something that you would say is happening yeah i think so um i think it's just it's just an inevitability of of playing with two people especially without drums i think it it just it just comes with the territory it's it's so rare um in playing this music uh, when playing jazz music or improvised music in general where you feel that exposed and it was, it was something I remember just when we first started and it's like everything you do matters so much more yeah. and it, it can be terrifying um, but also very liberating at the same time. And I think noting that when we started it definitely had lots of our hairy moments which we had to learn to kind of embrace and not hate ourselves after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's the reason why you've sort of got this sound now though because you had to go through those moments is that the case definitely and just kind of there's something about dutch um teachers that they're just really blunt so you know like when we were studying and we started this duo really digging into it deeply overseas you know the feedback we got from some teachers was just really amazingly critical and we just weren't used to it and it definitely propelled us to just push it to the next level like and it was mostly just feedback of like you know don't be timid just you know, especially just go for it and see what you can do and see where you can take it. Um, so, yeah, I think that was a huge part in it too. Yeah. I also got some extremely terrifying advice, which is uh, I had a saxophone teacher who told me, um, always be aware that you can kill the beauty with your sound. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> That's really interesting that you say that because I noticed with the saxophone in this context, um, it's almost like you created a sound where it's, 
where it was mimicked in Helen's playing, like when you slap the strings on a double bass, you almost have a similar sound with the percussive sound on the saxophone. Did you want to, Is that something that came from working overseas, or is that because I read about you learning more technical things when you went overseas? Is that sort of part of yeah. that? Both of you have that sort of thing going on. Yeah, it was certainly part of this kind of extended technique vocab, which we were both kind of looking at in our masters. Um, it's stuff that we kind of had started to play around with before we left Australia because we were both always into kind of free improvised music and the avant-garde kind of music. I guess what we got to do overseas is kind of um, take what we would do and just kind of, uh, I don't know, give it a bit more more fortitude or something or, or, or put it into a more composed space or really refined space um and i still feel like it's it's still being refined but um that was kind of the purpose of the study i think we both really wanted to master our instruments in in those kind of ways so look for i guess the stuff that we're doing isn't necessarily uh completely novel i guess we have we both have um lots of um people who we look up to and are inspired by who do use these kind of techniques in their playing uh, in their music um, and we were just trying to kind of be part of that kind of lineage and uh, kind of put our own twist on it um, especially yeah which I guess it, it, it can come across as quite um, abstract the music at times but I it also in a way I there's a part of me that still thinks it's kind of in that folk aesthetic and there's kind of really kind of beautiful and pretty moments amongst kind of chaotic moments um so it's been it's been really fun i think we're both kind of using these techniques to kind of and bringing them into a more i wouldn't say mainstream but a more accessible arena um still in the kind of experimental world but um yeah 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 and i think that's that's been both of our approaches with tackling these kind of yeah experimental and avant-garde techniques and just with you, Helen, the singing vocals over the top, have you had to learn lyrically, because you often hear about a, you know singers that sing lyrics of trying to tell a story, how do you then bring that into this improvised, I noticed you call it jazz folk um, mm. arena, how, does, how did you transition into that sort of role as well as playing the double bass? Yeah, I think vocally for me it was definitely – a huge turning point was when we had to write an immersive theatre production um, as Meet Shell where we, we were finalists and eventually winners of this Innovation in Music Prize in Maastricht where we were living. And as part of that, uh, I really transitioned vocally from just, you know, being quite pretty and, you know, mm. trying to s sing perfectly in tune to actually exploring like what is this content actually saying? Like, should I scream or should I, you know, sound angry? And definitely helped by um, some teachers who really just pushed me to to not sound pretty all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that kind of transition from, first of all, just singing in unison with my bass and singing pitches and nice harmonies to actually thinking more about, like, we are telling a story and that's what folk music is about. It's all about telling the story, really, like all of my favourite music that I listen to and also just people like Joni Mitchell who I've been inspired by and she's been one of my favourites since I can remember. And just the way that, you know, vocalists of that calibre are able to tell a story and just 
the tiny little differences they do um, in just expressing a word is just so minute but so significant. Um, so that's definitely an area that I'm still building upon and looking forward to exploring much further as we go on. Yeah, that's cool because I remember I had a really good listen to it um, driving today in the car, had quite a distance to go and I got to listen to the album twice and the thing that really struck me was how you could take your lyric, your vocal and do that beautiful, pretty um, technique that you were talking about and then all of a sudden switch almost like Jekyll and Hyde into that into that sort of really expressive, um, as you said, a scream or something. And the good thing is I listened to the album after I'd read the comments you'd written about each song and I found that that really helped me understand it. Were these subjects that you picked beforehand or just as you came to writing, they came to like climate change? You know, I remember the birth of your nephew, I think was one of them, things like Mm. that. Are they deliberate or are they just things that came to you? Yeah, they kind of, the the different subjects of the songs that are on the album came at different times and definitely were the stimulus for the pieces, I would say. Um, sometimes we would be composing from just, you know, a mel- like a melody line that would form and then we've shared the lyric writing together. So, um, for instance, the piece about Andrew's nephew, um, that was like didn't have lyrics for about a year I don't think and then you know when his nephew was probably about one year old he added the lyrics and it definitely helped me as a vocalist to sing it differently and to have something more to grasp onto actually um so almost like a childlike voice in a way and you know who will you be like really just taking on different kind of persona like I'm talking to him I think even before we really started writing lyrics, we always tried to have a story behind the music. And I I think that kind of helps live as well, especially with more avant-garde experimental music. It's like to get people, to bring people into what you're doing, you need to give them some kind of level of understanding. Um, And you should want to do that, I think, as well. I think a lot of people forget that or think that they you know, shouldn't have to do that when they're, they're performing um, that kind of music, but I think it's super important. So and it's something we've always strived to do, even if we're doing uh, instrumental music. I think across all our projects, um, even if it's something as silly as like on our first album, there was a track called um, When the Fridge Door Slams, which was <laughs> like about when we first, uh, we bought our, a car over in, in the Netherlands and um, we bought it from this... It's an awful car. It was the worst car ever. <laughs> and we like... It, it like broke down like after like after we bought it basically like on the way home kind of thing um and then when we got home uh like the fridge door like broke off the, our fridge that we had just so like everything was like falling apart so it was kind of like this you know like kind of gotta write a song about that <laughs> totally yeah. and it's like kind of like word painting with that lyrics sometimes like in what we're doing it's kind of almost what we're doing instrumentally can be really changed and influenced by what we know the song is about so um, or if I'm singing a particular lyric, Andrew's really a master at word painting around it with his saxophone. And yeah, it's lots of different approaches we've taken and are continuing, continuing to experiment with. with.
I, I noticed the way you guys improvise together. There's so many counter melodies and there's so you're playing off each other, but you're also doing your own thing too. Like it's, yeah, I really, really dug it on that track and it's, it's all throughout the whole album. Yeah, it's really nice when you we have had that intense kind of two years abroad playing together a lot and just getting to know each other's sounds on a whole whole new level, really. So I can almost hear what Andrew would do and I think vice versa. We definitely know um, how to kind of meet in the middle or how to completely not meet in the middle intentionally as well. Um, it's a really nice space to be in. Yeah, cool. So, so how do you then challenge each other in this context to then push each other more? Mm. So you've you've sort of reached this, you can hear on the album for me, you can hear this, there's a lot of time in there of you guys playing together and it comes out beautifully. So then how do you now take that and push yourselves even more in a duo setting? Because you've got all this space yeah. as we talked about. How do you do that? It's definitely been on the second album a process of layers. So... Um, again, like I said before, the intentional uh, non-meeting in the middle, I would say. So Andrew might be playing something beautiful and I'll, you know, we will, part of the composition might be that I completely interrupt him with a different layer and right. we continue to stay in our own little sonic worlds and sometimes at some point we will meet together and it feels to be quite an effective way to move forward in that compositional space. Um but yeah, having said that, I think there's a huge part of the element is like the aesthetic of our second album as well, which is inspired by the Cubist movement. Um, and, you know, I can actually say, Andrew, if you want to say anything about that as well. It actually came predominantly, we had we had this, um, for, I don't, yeah, you've probably seen uh, some of the, the press shots that we've got, which is kind of like, looks like a Picasso painting but just like in a photo with uh, with one shot um, yeah. and we actually kind of luckily uh, a really good friend of ours uh, Daniel Grimmer who's a, a photographer and a, he's a trumpet player and a guitarist and singer he's um, awesome dude from Brisbane um, but he takes amazing photos and he had this kind of idea for a photo shoot that he kind of just wanted to do and just thought that we would be the kind of perfect guinea pigs for it um, and he really liked the first Mitchell album. So he's like, um, you know, can you guys come to my house and, and do this film shoot? And we're just like, okay, sure, that'd be that'd be great. Um, and then he, he came up with these amazing photos um, and we were just so happy. We, and we kind of started looking into like the Cubist art movement. We're not really huge visual art buffs and I'm not gonna, <laughs> I don't really know a hell of a lot about, you know, the specific paintings or or painters in the movement, but we kind of were looking up what it was all about um, and principles yeah, the principles it. underpinning the, the whole movement. And it was kind of about uh, capturing um, varying uh, or multiple and varying perspectives of one object in one frame. So we thought, why don't we try and take that idea and do that musically for this album, considering we have these amazing shots which and it just it it just turned out that was the catalyst for for this different approach and I think it's something that we really needed because we had this really homogenous approach for our first album and very locked in yeah very locked not in. much freedom yeah and I think looking back on it I mean I I like the music from the first album too um, but I remember we even when we were thinking about it we were just like when we were performing it we felt so constricted and it wasn't really fun to perform it it was very kind of 
Andrew got RSI on a gig once. <laughs> a lot of repetitive things. Um, Is that and from all the ostinato patterns you're playing or something of, underneath? A lot of ostinato <laughs> patterns. Um, and then also like we kind of wanted to move away from that kind of thing because that's kind of a, a thing that's been explored in, in this, not in this exact setting, but I mean, Colin Stetson's always a guy that comes up for saxophone players who's, I mean, they, they, he's made that his whole well, not his whole career, but and certainly yeah, his his solo and um, duo music with his his partner Sarah Neufeld. It's very much in that in that vein of things. It's repetitive, it's minimalist, and it's very beautiful um, most of the time. So we kind of wanted to get away from that aesthetic as well because you know we don't want to be you know uh, Colin Stetson, Sarah Neufeld light kind of thing. <laughs> we tried. Yeah, we wanted we wanted to do something that's. More. There's always a departure point. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But yeah, we kind of wanted to escape or like, you know, try and cut off that comparison or something like that. Um, and this was a good way of doing it and where we felt like we felt free to kind of, as Helen was saying, kind of interrupt each other or completely go against each other or like, um, I think, yeah, it's super evident on um, Face, which is the, the single... Uh, and the first track on the album which um got released a little while ago with with this amazing video um which was directed by uh, another great friend of ours angus kirby uh from brisbane he's a great film director um he's got a bunch of stuff that people should check out uh including a new short film he just just yeah. finished filming so um yeah keep keep an eye out for that but he's cool. he's amazing um but in that it's like that that one in the the playing is not so much clashing, but um, we were kind of taking um, taking the the lyrical content and and trying to do that as well. Um, in terms of the playing, there's a track called Stones on the album, um, which is very much um, we kind of interrupting each other the whole time. It's kind of coming in and out of us interrupting each other, and it's it's kind of like a cool way to kind of shape the improvisation that happened. It's um, kind of putting that parameter on it where we're like um you know i'm gonna do this thing and then you can basically go completely against it or you keep going and doing your thing while this changes and then things kind of just move in and out in and out like that but the whole time we are aware of where the other person is and what they're doing and again you know where it's headed in what direction as well so it's all part of the compositional approach that we take together at least on this album the way that we've done it and it's just a completely different way of approaching the like the tension and release thing in the yep. in the kind of composition process. And so, is that where the the principles of cubist cubist art sort of cross over into music? Have you been able to make a definite correlation between the the fundamental pre, um, principles of that movement and what you're trying to do? For us, I think um, the principles kind of manifested. Um, Certainly in the in that kind of layering thing, but I think the fact that we have these stories that are kind of underlying each of the songs, um, that allowed us to kind of look at that specific thing and think, okay, how how many different ways can we um, view this this particular topic, and how can we make that into sound? So, another example would be uh, the track "Concerned Greta," which is is the big scream track uh, on the album, which is. Um, kind of about the whole climate change debate. Um, and it, it was kind of written around the time when that was all really kind of 
happening in the media and 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 like right. Greta Thunberg, yep. she was kind of all in the media, and I guess it was kind of this um, to and fro between people just seeing these young climate activists as just just kids, um, yeah. and then just how angry these kids are because these people who are in power who have the power to change things aren't going to do anything. Um, it's like you can see these different perspectives, and like the start of that song is is literally just a just a children's song. Basically, we wanted to write a really um, basic, simple children's folk melody, and then it kind of like devolves into this screaming chaos, <laughs> seemingly out of nowhere. And it's it's kind of and then kind of like turns into this song after that. So it was kind of trying to do that with as many different things as as we could. And I guess we we're it's kind of lucky we had the lyrical content where we could we could throw those things in as well. Um, for instance, on that first the first track, Face, um, the lyrics sound super kind of random and abstract, but they're all kind of connected by um, a single idea, which is face. So it's like how many different types of face are there <clears throat> or how many different kinds of face can you describe? Um, and that was a really fun And I love fun how exercise. you had a dig at Facebook at the end of it as yeah. well. It was great. <laughs> yeah, that worked out really nice. A complete composition without that. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. I I listened to Concerned Greta after I'd read that blurb on it and about being about climate change. And I think that really, I totally got it straight away when I did that. If I hadn't have read it first or hadn't have been told that it was about, I, I would have dug it, but I wouldn't have got it. And I think that was, that's, to, to be able to convey these stories I suppose live you would have to do that. I'm not sure if you have to or not, but it's really important to have that context when you listen to the song. Totally. I think it's, especially with experimental music, you have to give that accessibility to the audience no matter what kind of music they're accustomed to or what they like to listen to. Um, it's definitely important to us to convey that story before we perform something like that um, where it, it just quite randomly goes into this screaming chaos otherwise if you don't really know what it's about you know so um yeah and ironically that title was originally called concrete garden as well and then it concerned oh, greta right. came yep. like an anagram out of it where it was even more oh, um, focused yeah, on right. the climate change um theme yep. which is pretty cool so just went further Thank you. 
I did notice even in the way you perform these songs on the album, is there there's an element of theatre as well as the folk in there. Is that something that you had growing up that you were exposed to that kind of music or is it something that you've just sort of started to incorporate now? For me, I was never really that exposed to theatre. I was all more like classical music background. I'm not sure about Andrew. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> I think I think it all just came came down to the essence of storytelling for us and I think right. organically yep. it just turned into this kind of theatrical space um, that we just went with and we followed and again definitely influenced by this this one theatre production we did um, that was right. just very much not your typical musical theatre or anything like that but just an immersive experience where the audience was almost part of the performance. Um, yep. so. And then I think probably also um, there have probably been a few important um, shows that we've both kind of seen over the last maybe few years. Um, one was uh, uh, Jen Shu, uh, who's an amazing vocalist, um, was living in New York. She did this kind of one-woman show basically uh, at the Jazz Gallery in New York City and we both happened to be in New York at the time and got to attend and like it was just, am- it was just an amazing way that you could approach performing um which is is just so powerful and i think we both kind of like grapple with that idea where it's like very difficult as a jazz musician playing mostly instrumental music i guess in this project is a bit different because we have the added element of the voice where it's you can connect with people a bit easier but it's like it's it's it can be so difficult to connect with a general audience playing instrumental music especially experimental instrumental music at that so um i guess the more overt you can be or the more theatrical you can be it's it can only help people be brought into what you're doing um yeah yeah Yeah, right so does that translate to live so when you do perform this music live are you both quite theatrical in the way you deliver it yeah, it varies in different ways. Like, for instance, sometimes we'll ask the audience to close their eyes for 10 seconds um, before right. we start in silence just to kind of gather together in a sonic space um, and just to focus the listening. Um, because I think in a way that's from feedback we've gotten in the past, that's been an effective way to kind of prepare people to listen to the lyrical content, you know, in a more engaged way from the, from the get-go. Um, and yeah, there are just other, other things like, well, you know, I think it, we're both very quite, we move a lot when we play, I would say. So I think it's, Mm. it's almost the movement of, um, ourselves as performers is very much connected to what's happening in the piece at the time. Um, so I think when it gets really, really hectic or a bit, bit more, um, full on, I think we'll be almost reflecting that in what we're doing and definitely Andrew and his what his face looks like when he's really going for it. It's a bit scary. Um, with all those multiphonics, you'll definitely know that there's something a bit bit darker happening in the song. <laughs> That's cool. Well, it's been awesome to have you guys on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time and really all the best for the shows coming up and really looking forward to hearing how you expand on this sound in the future. Tell us more for you guys to say. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to that. So thanks so much, guys, for taking the time to talk to us here on the Australian Jazz and Group podcast. All the best, hey? Thank you so much for having us. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave.
So that was a track from Nick Hayward from his 2011 release, 1234. And Nick won a National Jazz Bells Award in contemporary music for that album in 2012. And seriously, if you want to have a complete Australian jazz collection, then that's a definite for that collection. It also featured Stephen Magnuson on guitar, the great Alan Brown on drums, as we mentioned earlier, and Colin Hopkins on piano. And before that, we heard Stones from Meat Shell off their new album, Since Sabito. Well, we've come to the end of another episode and a big shout out must go to Helen Svoboda and Andrew Saragossi from Meat Shell for joining us on the podcast. If you are wondering how you can show your appreciation for this music, which I'm sure you are, then please go and buy the music you hear that you like. Bandcamp is usually the best place as the artist will receive most of the money. Support these great artists, and if you would like to support this podcast, please go and rate it wherever you subscribe to your latest episode so that more people can find it and we can do our part in growing the Australian jazz appreciation community. But that's enough from me. Thanks so much for tuning in, and until next time, it's bye for now.